Revelation chapter 14. You know, a friend of mine asked me a few weeks ago uh, if I thought we were living in the end times. And my, my response was simple and kind. I said, no, we're living in the time of the end. And there is a difference. Because we've been living in, the, in the, <clears throat> the end times for a long time, haven't we? But I believe uh, very strongly, and the Bible, I think, supports this, that we're living in the time of the end. As Christians, you know, we, we should be preparing um, for what is soon to break upon us as a over, an overwhelming surprise. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. And we should make this preparation um, in part by a diligent study of God's word. And at the same time, striving to conform our lives to that study, that, the, the word of God, looking at what God's word says and then striving by God's grace to bring our lives into line with God's word and his will, to conform our lives to its precepts. And so God is calling for a revival and reformation, and he will empower us, he will empower you, uh, the earnest seeker to achieve the goal that he has set for us. Um, he's not coming back until this revival takes place. And, you know, as the Bible says, the evil servant said the Lord delays his coming. Let's never say the Lord delays his coming. We delay the Lord's coming. He's ready to come. He's not waiting for a Sunday law. He's not waiting for the papacy to do something special uh, or evil. Those things are all in place. He's waiting for his people. And so last time we discussed the importance of getting into God's word, not in a superficial way, but, but digging deep, um, trying to understand the greater meanings that are found there. Um, so digging deep and then doing some memorization of scripture. You were given um, a couple of plans. One is a monthly Bible memorization plan. The other was a, a, a read through the Bible plan in a year. Hopefully you're using those. And we looked at Revelation 14, uh, verses five, uh, 4 and 5, and we discussed those verses, and we saw that this, these verses describe God's people uh, in the last days. And we need to strive, we discovered, that we need to strive to be among that group. Um, that's what's important, to be part of that faithful group at any cost. And as we get closer to the end, there will be a cost. Some people have experienced that. Maybe you lost a job because you chose to be loyal to God. But there's going to be a cost as we get closer and closer, and we need to be prepared for that. Whatever changes are necessary in our lives, we need, need to, by God's grace, implement those changes. Um, we talked about the virgins mentioned there, that uh, they're not corrupted with false doctrine. That's what it means. They love the truth of God's word. Uh, they follow Jesus, this group of people, follow Jesus wherever he goes, no matter what the cost. Wherever he leads, we want to follow. There's no guile, no deceit uh, in these people. They're without fault. They are without blame before the throne of God. And we are going to pray. I'm just kind of giving a little review. Um, Mount of Blessings, page 69, says this, Those who have learned from Christ will have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. 
In speech, as in life, they will be simple, straightforward, and true, for they are preparing for the fellowship of those holy ones in whose mouth was found no guile. So we're, we're to be preparing. And as we do that, if we're sincerely doing that, we will start to look so much different from the rest of the world that it will be remarkable. People will be able to remark and say, why are you so different? And the reactions will be different as well. Some will be interested in that. They'll want that. They'll ask questions. They'll inquire about that. And others will be repelled by it. They'll just... And maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've lost friends. When you became an Adventist Christian, you lost friends. And so this is, this is going to happen. Um, no fellowship with the world. And then we looked at Revelation 7, 2 and 3. talks about the same group of people. They're sealed in their foreheads where spiritual decisions are made. Okay, um, Where characters are formed. That's very important. And they have the character, and we should desire the character of Jesus. That's what we should desire, and ask God for that. They've purposed in their hearts that they would not defile themselves with the things of the world. And I steal some verbiage from Daniel when I use those terms. Sealed in their foreheads, purposed in their hearts to follow Jesus no matter what. So revival and reformation are two different things, but they go together. Revival signifies a renewal in the spiritual life. So maybe you're in a rut. It's a renewal in the spiritual life. It's a quickening of the powers of mind and heart, a resurrection of spiritual or from spiritual death. And then reformation signifies a reorganization, um, a change in ideas, in theories, in habits, and practices. So we've begun a new year. We're 27 days, 28 days into the new year. It's a great time to reorganize your life, to look at God's will, say, where am I out of God's will? Where do I have to reorganize? Where do I have to make a change in my thoughts, uh, in my habits, my practices? Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, come together today, uh, it's a privilege to do that because in many places we're not able to worship uh, the Lord Jesus without persecution, without the threat of death or imprisonment. But we have our Bibles here and we have Bibles in the pews and we're able to pray and to worship you and read scripture and we're so thankful. As we do that, Lord, we ask that you would bless us, that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth, that our hearts would be changed. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you, if you look at Revelation 14, uh, 6 and 7, where our scripture reading uh, was from, keep in mind that John here um, is in vision and he's speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So these things will come to pass. They will happen. So uh, verse 6, it says, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the what? To preach to? That's right, everybody, every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, depending on your uh, version of your Bible. And I hope you see the love of Jesus there. No one is left out. You know, uh, at school this week, I was talking with the kids doing Bible, and we talked about this. 
that we used to count our success as a denomination by the number of countries we had reached. And we were like, wow. And we pat ourselves on the back and we said we've reached 92% of the world. Well, we realized very quickly that was a faulty measuring device. Now we measure our success by people groups, cultural distinctives. And in Tullahoma, there might be six, maybe a dozen people groups. So the gospel, the everlasting gospel is here in Tullahoma, but is it in every language? Have we reached every people group? No, we have not. And so they did their uh, calculations and we've reached 50% of the world. Because, like I said, many languages, many people groups that we haven't reached. And, and so <clears throat> the Lord says it's going to go to everyone. Everyone's going to have a chance to make a decision. And that shows the love of Jesus. He doesn't want to leave anybody out. He doesn't want to leave anyone out. So the everlasting gospel is the greatest message, I believe, of all time. And notice it's the everlasting gospel. Because there are gospels that will not last forever. Supposed good news, it's not really good news. And the everlasting gospel is also, also contains a warning message. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, but it's packed with good news. But there's also a warning there. So picture our angels flying all over the globe. And they're proclaiming with a loud voice, because it's an important message, uh, the message that's designed to save men and women, boys and girls, all over the world in the final hours of probation. And you could think of some Old Testament times. Um, in Genesis chapter 6, you could think about the story of Noah, and you could see the same thing was happening. Probation, the hours of probation were dwindling away. There was good news. There was salvation available. And there was a preacher. And so it mentions this, this angel, or in the Greek, angelos. It means messenger. And because Revelation is mostly symbolic, it represents you and me. We're the messengers. You're not going to see winged, 12-foot-tall uh, beings walking the streets, knocking on doors. I mean, angels have a role, and sometimes they will go where we can't go. But they're not going to do the work for us. We are the messengers. We're the messengers, instruments, agents, whatever you want to call us, that God is using to get this message out. It's a dying world. And let me ask you this. Do you believe it's a dying world? I think so. Morally, spiritually, and physically, um, the death toll is climbing rapidly. So we have to be fully converted to successfully uh, be messengers to do this job. All heaven is involved. Did you know that? All heaven's involved. It says this, Review and Herald, January 5th, 1911. Heavenly intelligences are waiting to cooperate with human instrumentalities. The inexhaustible supplies of heaven are at their command. Do you know what that word inexhaustible means? There is no end to the supply. Inexhaustible supplies uh, of heaven are at our command. To everyone who offers himself to the Lord's service, withholding nothing, that's key, is given power for the attainment of measureless results. 
And, and I can't wait to see that. That's coming. We're gonna, there's a time where we're going to see results that we can't count. It's like, I don't know how many people came, but there were thousands. Measureless results. And it's an everlasting gospel. We talked about that. Three times Jesus refers to the everlasting gospel as this gospel. He says this gospel, this gospel, this gospel. And then in Romans, Paul refers to the everlasting gospel as the gospel of peace. And that makes sense, doesn't it? When you discovered and embraced the gospel, didn't it bring your heart peace? It's a gospel of peace because people are burdened with sin and guilt and fear. And the gospel brings peace. But it's more than just hearing it. Obviously, people need to hear it, but they also need to believe it and accept it and make it part of their lives. That's when the peace comes. So it's the gospel of peace. Um, The Bible also says, it refers to the gospel as good tidings. Good tidings. It's good news. How universal, we know it's universal. It goes all all over this planet. And so the message is the everlasting gospel, but what is the message? What is the everlasting gospel? And the only safe thing for us to do when we ask a question is to find a biblical answer. Let the Bible interpret itself. Do not let, uh, don't get caught up in um, taking liberties that aren't given to us, where I think it means this, or Um, I heard this once, and so I like that. Because if we do that, it's a slippery slope, and our interpretations then are based on theories, whether they're mine or someone else's. And so it starts there in verse 7. And what is the first thing? The first message is fear God. So what does the Bible, how does the Bible uh, define the fear of God? You can't say it's something um, and be safe. You have to... Find out what does Scripture say about the fear, uh, the fear of God, and it's where we get the word phobia. It's that's actually the word in the Greek, phobia. And you know, we often say, "Oh, it's re- it's reverence, it's respect for God." It is, but it's much more than that, right? Um, you go into a courtroom, you respect the judge. You don't even know him or her, but you respect them. And it's reverence at a very small level. This is much greater than that. And to take that Greek word and actually look at its definition, the definition is to be alarmed, to be in awe of, to revere, to be afraid, exceedingly reverence. So it's, it's, it conveys this idea of taking God at his word and recognizing who he is. Okay, He created the universe. He's the creator of the universe. He gives life to us. I mean, he is so far beyond anything earthly. It's amazing. And to just say, oh, well, it means to reverence him. It's just not enough. You know, the Bible says that God, it says, for our God is a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire. That's Hebrews 12, 29. Deuteronomy says the same thing. Now, this is not a fear where we're like, ugh, like that. But it's recognizing how powerful God is, that God will keep his word. He is going to do everything that he says in his word he's going to do. He's not our 
you know, back-slapping buddy. He is so great and powerful, all-knowing, all-powerful, always present. He's awesome. Now you can reverence him. And, you know, there's many verses. Um, we don't have time because of communion to share all of them. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have those who do his commandments. Now, I want you to notice that with fear comes obedience to God's will. Over and over again in Scripture, the Lord combines the two. Okay? The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. And you'll see this over and over again, the fear of the Lord. I want the Bible to define the fear of the Lord. And so you just keep reading, get your concordance and read. And there is verse after verse after verse. And it combines obedience, following God's will, hating evil with the fear of the Lord. It's really a powerful study that you could do um, sometime. Always results in doing God's will. You know, Ecclesiastes 12, you know this fear... Uh, Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. You're familiar with that. All right, so now let's look at giving glory to God. Go to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Um, We're going to be in John. We're just going to look at a couple of verses. John, chapter 15. And so we're taking a journey through Revelation 14. So we're in John 15, and we're going to read verse 8. Jesus said, hereby is my father, what? Glorified that ye bear much fruit. So ye, so shall ye be my disciples. So Jesus says, God is glorified when we bear fruit. That's pretty simple, right? Go to John 17 and verse 4. We want to see how Jesus glorified his father. And what does the Bible say? I have glorified thee on the earth. I have what? Finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So there's a big way in which we glorify the Lord. And and the everlasting gospel not only contains the command to fear God, but to give glory to Him. Okay, 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the what? To the glory of God. So those three verses really encapsulate the answer to this question. What does it mean to give glory to God? Well, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So as you're doing it, whatever it is, does this bring God glory? And that that really embraces everything. And then do God's work. Finish the work which he gave us to do, the Great Commission. And that's how we glorify him. And we could do a longer study. You could look at the character of God. His character is love. And his nature, his divine nature. And we give God glory by being like him. Okay? So obviously the everlasting gospel is a message that Christ left the glories of heaven. He came to this sinful place. He lived a very humble, poor life. And his life was perfect, and he died in our place. As a result of that death, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we are able to live eternally. We're able to have forgiveness from our sin. We're we're able to have the righteousness by faith of Jesus, and 
gain entrance into the heavenly kingdom. Obviously, that is, um, that's at the foundation of the everlasting gospel. But many have never made the connection between obedience and the gospel. They think the two are separate and distinct, and perhaps one is not necessary. But the Bible says uh, this in 2 Thessalonians 1.8, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Obeying the gospel. Did you ever think of that? That the obedience was associated with it? 1 Peter 4, 7, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So don't separate the two. The gospel brings obedience. The grace of God brings obedience. The righteousness of Christ is not a legal decoration alone. It's also a change of heart, a change of person. The old man is dead. The new man is born. The gospel dispensation is the last period of probation that will ever be granted to men. This is from Manuscript 40, 1900. Those who live under this dispensation of test and trial and yet are not led to repent and obey will perish with the disloyal. There is no second trial. The gospel that is to be preached to all nations, kindreds, tongues, and peoples represents the truth in clear lines showing that obedience is the condition of gaining eternal life. Christ imparts his righteousness to those who consent to let him take away their sins. And, you know, that, those, that statement might be new to you, it might be alarming, but I want you to think about uh, the, our very first parents, okay? Were they allowed to stay in heavenly bliss after one infraction of the law? No, probation, they, they, they wasted their probation. And they were sent out, and they ended up uh, experiencing the wages of sin, right? They, they're still not, they're not alive today. Wages of sin is death, right? So keep this in mind that we cannot separate a, a relationship, a connection with the Lord Jesus and becoming like him. Becoming a... Uh, a member of his household, a member of his kingdom. See, heaven must be a safe place. And we have to get rid of this thought process that I can walk right into the kingdom of God because of something I said or something I did without a change of character. See, it's not by works of righteousness which I have done that get me in, but it's by the blood of Jesus, what he did. And what he desires to do. See, the gospel encapsulates sanctification, a change of heart. The righteousness of Jesus by faith changes us. And we have to let him do that. So in order for us to be faithful messengers of this everlasting gospel, we, we need not only to understand it, and we're learning about it, but it has to become part of us. It has to be something that I live by. Uh, it's the, it has to be the driving principle of my life. And I'm not earning my way to heaven. I'm actually experiencing the everlasting gospel, and there's a difference. 
There's a difference. I'm experiencing the everlasting gospel. I am letting the Lord, through His grace and His righteousness, change me into His likeness. I'm not trying to earn merit with Him by doing good deeds. So our greatest need begins with an understanding of this and an embracing of the gospel. Um, And if it's the compelling force in your life, you will see change. You will have the peace that comes through the everlasting gospel. And so today we have an excellent opportunity to embrace Jesus because that's where the everlasting gospel is found. That's where the grace is found. That's where the righteousness that we need is found. That's where the change comes from, Jesus, the good news. And so provisions have been made for the ordinance of humility. Here are men in the middle couples in the fellowship hall, the ladies. And so as our pianist plays, let's go reverently um, and then we'll come back here for the Lord's Supper.